Hey everyone, Chris Evans here with a special pop-up edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio with Marvel's first Asian superhero saying all the right things and using his fame and his world status and his huge platform as nothing but a force for good. I love this guy. His name is Simu Liu. Enjoy. This former accountant turned blockbuster superhero burst into cinemas last year with Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. His book, We Were Dreamers, is out today and tells his own origin story. Swapping the Hollywood Hills for our London view, it's Simu Liu. Good morning, Simu. Welcome to the top of the tower. It is so great to be here, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. What a story. Uh, It's beautifully written. It's very funny. It's very touching. It's very emotive for so many reasons. Uh, Let's fast forward um, right to uh, the end of the book. Then we'll go back and then we'll have a lucky dip uh, somewhere in between. (laughs) Sure. Let's go to the final audition of you auditioning for the role of Shang-Chi, for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. So the second audition, you say, I can recall pieces of what happened in the room. My reader, Molly's auburn hair, Sarah's smile, Destin, the director, nodding his head in approval, but it all went by in a blur. I think at some point I threw my pages away and just invented a scene in my head. I didn't know one thing, however, beyond any reasonable doubt, it was the best audition I'd ever done. How did you know that? Oh, man. It's uh, it's it's just the energy in the room, you know. Uh, I remember, so, so that passage in the book refers to the callback audition that I did in Los Angeles at Seraphin's casting offices. Seraphin, of course, is the famous... Legend. The legendary casting yep. director of all of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe movies, but I remember I, I was meeting Destin for the first time, and it's that spark that happens when you when you found not only your director but your collaborator, and you know th- that thing that I said about throwing away the pages at one point and just inventing a scene. That's totally true because Destin saw that I was um, I was you know on book, I was reading off the page, and he was like, "Great." just throw away the pages and just say whatever you feel like saying. And, and we invented, we improved and, and we played around. And, and by the end of it, I was like, I've never experienced that in an audition room before. And I started to really feel nervous because before then, I mean, you're auditioning for a Marvel movie. You know, I, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people <laughs> had sent in their tapes. So it was really the first time that I was like, oh, geez, I think I might actually have a shot. Which means I also have a chance to mess it all up. Yeah. And that made me, oh. Yeah, don't overthink it. Don't get in the way of yourself. Uh, That's very important, isn't it? But of course, it wasn't the first time you played a superhero. Uh, (laughs) It happened so many times in the past. You're a superhero children's entertainer. Yes. Tell us about those days. Well, it was one of those those Joe Jobs that you take on. Do you say Joe Jobs in in Britain? We do now. Excellent. We do now. (laughs) I'm making it happen. Um, Yeah, it was, was, you know, during my struggle years as an artist, of course, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay afloat. And, um, you know, being, being a Spider-Man, a dress-up Spider-Man for kids' birthday parties, uh, as it happens, pays pretty decently. Uh, it's pretty flexible, you know. <laughs> you, you get a lot of weekends, and um, and so and so. Yeah, I, uh, I I signed up with a company, and you know, for the most part, it's really fun. Like when when you know you have these parents whose children are about five or six. Like before they start to realize that you're not the actual superhero. <laughs> you said five. Is, is five is the, the, the party you want? You want a fifth birthday party? Oh my God. Yeah, five is great. There are some parents that just do not understand how their children develop yeah. and will 
invite a Spider-Man to come to their kids like eight or ninth birthday, yeah. and that's that's no good. That's Still no good because the kids know they're just like, uh, why are you doing this? They this, can see I, the Velcro. They can see the Velcro exactly. <laughs> they know there's a man behind there that just like is probably just as miserable yeah. as they are. And and below below sort of five, they want a clown or something. But five is it. Five is the age. Oh, five is the magic. You, you can have them at five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will believe. Like you can feel their belief that you are Spider-Man. <laughs> And uh, and and the only reason you're not shooting webs right now is because you don't want to you don't want to you know mess up the yeah. the home. Yeah, what Mum's done to prepare the party, and then before um, the the kids superhero uh, window, there was Super Frosh. Super Frosh. Tell us yeah. about Super Frosh. Oh my god, you really have read my book, but can I just say how crazy that feels? Because it's one thing to say. I've seen your movie, and I, and I always feel very, very happy about that. But a book is, I mean, it's such an intimate thing. So thanks, all of you guys, I'm for, the only one for who's reading it. it. The other two claim they've read it, but they're, uh, they, they're, they're just pretending. Yeah, I'm doing all the heavy lifting. That's fair. Here, that's fair. Always. But I get the big book, so that's that's. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Super Frosh was um, was this talent show in my freshman year of college, and it was really like I say in my book, it's my first kind of brush with fame. And I was coming off of a you know a, a, a pretty pretty mediocre high school experience, as so many of us have. But uh, it was this opportunity for me to redefine myself. And I remember I was sitting in the bleachers with all of these other freshmen. And um, and they were like, come come and show your talents on, on the stage. And, you know, people were coming up and just doing absolutely nothing. Like one guy <laughs> threw a chair. That was his talent. And so I was like, look, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a shot. Right. So I went up and I did like a backflip. And I remember everyone was like going crazy. Well, you saw a parting of the ways, didn't you? You yes, saw a yes, space yes. on the floor. You thought, I'm going to have that. I'm going to take up that space. Yes. Very profound, yeah, very yeah, profound, yeah, yeah. and and that ended up, be, you know, I ended up being one of the finalists, and then I I, I wound up on stage in front of the entire student body at one point, uh, dancing and singing for some reason, and then I won the super frosh, and I was like that guy on campus. For... Yeah, but you cho- you say you chose. I mean, you know, I think you'd be very modest, but you you say you chose a song that everybody joined in with, so maybe you nailed the song, the song choice uh, as opposed to the singing. I suspect it was a lot of both. Thank you. I will take that. Okay, as far as being a real life superhero is concerned i can't help um uh deducting from the deducing from the first few chapters of the book you sort of had to be as a little boy to sustain this mad upbringing um that you experienced Mm. born in china Mm -hmm. um, mum and dad moved to canada without you Mm. you didn't really know they were mum and dad you just thought they were people with grown-up names (laughs) and then daddy came to take you from China to, for this new life in Canada, which you enjoyed up to a point. Mm-hmm. But then you felt the pressure, pr- pressure of their, pr- the, their projected, um, uh, almost what they wanted for themselves, but they couldn't get it. So they, they wanted you to have it for them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this takes up a lot of the book and it's fascinating and you're so candid about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, t- speak to that if you don't mind first and of then course. tell us how writing about it and getting it out there has helped you with any kind of closure. Yeah, of course. Well, um, you know, it, it was less, I think, about closure for me, speaking about this, this just these kind of intergenerational turmoils that we, so many of us in immigrant households experience with our parents, right? Um, so I'm, I'm very candid about it in the book, as you, as you talked about, because specifically for the reason that so many families are not. 
you know, and it wasn't born out of this 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 desire to air out dirty laundry and to be vindictive against my parents. But truly, it was a collaborative effort where we sat down and we said, what is a story that we want to tell so that we can help other families? You know, because when when I was growing up in my adolescence, my parents and I fundamentally did not understand each other. We butted heads every single day, you know, from my parents growing up from such a vastly different environment than I did. Um, they just couldn't connect to this kid that had all these different problems and was worried about girlfriends and things you know they were worried about you know can will I get to go to school tomorrow you know will I get the opportunities to to fulfill my full potential um they're just very different ways of life and and so you know it just yeah it, it led to a lot of clashing and we're we want to share all of the intimate details of what we went through, the arguments that we had, sometimes, you know, things becoming physical. But we want to do that in the interest of, of showing other families, look, you're not alone. You're not the only people to, to ever have these problems. There is a path forward because we have found that path forward. We've reconciled in a very real way. And, you know, we're each other's best friends today. So we want to help guide other families to get yeah, there. Yeah, because the book starts where it ends, doesn't it? It starts yes. at you getting the phone call that would change your life and they're being sworn to secrecy by the Marvel execs. Yeah. Saying, you know, uh, if there's one thing you ever do, one secret you ever keep, Simu, it's got to be this one. And you said, absolutely no problem with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The phone Don't out. tell yeah. anyone. And you instantly called your best mate and then you called your folks. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think about it's such a realization of an immigrant dream, you know, that my parents m must not have even dared dream when they first came to Canada. You know, I, I think the expectations were, you know, immigrants coming to a country with no support system, no money in their pockets, just hopes and dreams of building a better life. All you want to do is survive. Yeah. And to, I think, watch your next generation not only survive, but getting that kind of recognition and, and admiration is, um, you know, I, I, it, it's the best possible gift that I could have given to them. Yeah, because your meant... mum and dad, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of upbringing was all about proving your worth and justifying yes. your position and saying, look, I deserve to be here. But mm -hmm. of course, that isn't dreaming. You mm -hmm. know, it is a dream of sorts, but, but they didn't allow themselves to dream beyond that, which is what you sort of have to do if you want to end up in the business that we're in. Absolutely. So you went beyond their, you stood on the shoulders of their dreams yes. to, to realize yours, yes. which was beyond their comprehension most. Yes, yes. But you know what? And what they didn't understand at the time when they were, you know, yelling at me for not doing my math homework or not, you know, being an engineer and following in their footsteps was that their their dream, you know, their sacrifices were made so that I could pursue my own. Yeah. So that I would have the freedom and the privilege of defining my own success and walking and choosing to walk down that path. Yeah. And that's absolutely the gift that they've given me. Um, it's incredible to to think, I mean, you're only, you know, in my world, you're only a baby. You're still only 33 <laughs> years old. Thank you for saying that, Chris. But I, you really I, are. I mean, you're a kid. Because you talk about yourself being a kid in the book mm -hmm. in the early 20s. I think you're still a kid, actually. But that's because I'm, I'm twice your age, or almost twice your age. <laughs> Not quite. Um, uh, but uh, it's, you know, bearing that in mind, it's only the, the, uh, the, the, the heartbeat of a sparrow since you were mm. still an accountant at Deloitte. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that. I was like, Look at I, man. this is one of the best stories. This is why I loved your book. It's one of the best stories, man. <laughs> Tell everybody how you re we're not yanking their chain. You really were an accountant yes, at yes. Deloitte. I, I was an accountant. Like two days ago. 
Like two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ten years. It was ten years ago, which I guess is is a lot longer for me than it is for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, easy. It, it, I thought we were getting on. I know. I, know. We were, I don't know why I said that. That came out so aggressive. Um, well, I graduate. Yeah, I graduated from college, and of course, following in in some sort of you know de- defined path that was set by my parents. Sort of like I was a rebellious kid, but even then, I could never divorce myself from from their vision of what success ought to be, and so that's how I ended up at the offices of Deloitte, um, hating my life every single day. Right, really and, hating. And, and for all the accounts, for all the people that are listening right now on their way to work at Deloitte or other accounting firms, that's not to say, look, it just wasn't it for just me. Wasn't for you. And if you love your job, I have nothing, but I, I, I feel like I. that's what I want more than anything is for you to love your job. I don't job. think you have to defend it as a point of view. I think they right. get it. They but it was it. terrible. It was yeah. terrible. I hated every second of it. It was minute by minute, wasn't it? You, you really detested it. It was it made like, you feel sick. It was like waking up at the last possible second, rolling into the office at the last possible second and then staring at the clock trying to make excuses and you know every every so often I, I need to go down I need to take a walk I need to get a coffee it was like get me out of this yeah. and and then um, you know rinse and repeat for about eight months and uh, thankfully thankfully one day in April I was uh, I was let go of my job less than less than a year in okay but you couldn't tell your mom and dad no that would be that would have been rough. Okay, and you were acting at the time, so you were doing extras work, and you were hanging around for 14 hours with your pals, you know, on various sets of, of big sort of action movies that mm-hmm. they painted the, the half of Canada to look like Hong Kong in about a minute, and you thought, this is what I want, I don't care how long I'm going to be here for. <laughs> uh, but um, some of these jobs were at the weekend, and then somewhere in the week, and this is how come you got fired. I mean, you know, there's lots of gaps to fill in here, but just by the book, it's brilliant. Simu Liu, uh, We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story. But of course, you know, then... You know, the the acting itch started to become ever itchier and you just had to end up scratching it. So um, biggest initial break, would you say? What was your biggest initial break? God, it was, I mean, it felt like the biggest deal in the world at the time, but I um, I, I booked a speaking role. My very first speaking role was on a, a CW show called Nikita. And I played Hong Kong desk cop number one, and I'll do the I'll do the lines for you right now. So the um, I, I walk into an interrogation room and I say, uh, Inspector, you have a call from headquarters. And the inspector goes, Headquarters? And I say, Headquarters, Beijing. End scene. I liked it. And it was yeah, Work for I mean, me. It, it was it, it was the biggest deal because I never thought of myself as a working. Like I was just doing it as a hobby to pass the time because I was unemployed. And then you know being on set around professionals and being you know kind of brought up to that level. I remember I had a scene with Shane West. Shane West, the actor from A Walk to Remember, was very big in my childhood. I don't know if you guys are. No, you can believe to it. Remember you were fans. in disbelief when you were on set with Total this guy. Total disbelief, I love and I was that. like, you can make a living love doing it. this. And from that point on, I was I was in. I you was were in. in. Uh, and then again, various things happened. Um, one a week, Simu uh, found himself earning like ten thousand dollars in ten days or something like that. Um, and what, what you know, th- but then there was a lean period, you know, and then you got more regular acting work. Ups and downs, man. Ups and Feast downs. And yep. Yeah, ride the roller coaster because that's what it's all about, baby. Yeah, baby. You know, and the, by the way, the bigger the lows, the more potentially higher the 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 zeniths are. Yes. Um, but then what I love about you is you, you poured all your money back into acting. So you, then you started taking acting lessons. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just tell us what you learned about that, how things developed, and how that helped you to get to where you are today. Yeah, well, that I mean, the, the classes are really important because any otherwise anybody could just, just kind of walk in and and start you know acting. And I think it's fine for the one or two liners, but I think I I, I came to the realization very quickly that it was about more than just being on uh, you know having a camera pointed at you and looking pretty. There was a real craft to to this and and the more i took classes the more i discovered how much i loved just performing playing characters getting deep into the psyche of of the characters that i would inhabit and um you know you think of like any remote emotionally repressed kid from an immigrant household where talking about your feelings was just like not on the table all of a sudden i was studying feelings every day and so it just became so addictive going to acting class and getting to just emote yeah it really was i mean you really had found your lane hadn't you you could sense it yeah, yeah. you know and once you know and I, like you say uh you know i hope people listen to this if you have a sense of your lane your true nature you know it's so much easier to to exist within that mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to you know no, often if you're blessed with you know loads of energy you you find it easier to keep bashing that universal square peg into a round hole which is fine but you once you the second you stop bashing it, it will pop out again far better to find your true nature and swim in that lane that's beautiful and then you got you got this um, you got this really quite decent gig in Canada, didn't you? Um, that, that was a great thing, and then it became a hamstring as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, so the show the show that you're talking about is Kim's Convenience, um, which which is on Netflix all over the world. But it was yeah, it started as a small Canadian show about an immigrant family, which is you know so amazing, and um, was based on a play that was written by a Korean Canadian playwright, and and so it had all of the trappings of this incredible story that you know was a champion of diversity and inclusion. And, and, you know, not that it wasn't those things and not that I'm not proud of the work that we did, but it, it you know, it just kind of felt like over time, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't quite what I, what I had expected it would be for my career. And it became very clear to me that I needed to look onwards, so, that this would not be my salvation. Yeah. And so that actually was the driving force of me trying to break into Hollywood. So Hollywood, baby, the Hollywood Hills. There you go. And an agent, uh, you know, an agent who you were suspicious of at first. Uh-huh. You got to meet him in a coffee shop. Yes. Uh, you were ripped off by a Spider-Man uh-huh. uh, the moment you arrived. <laughs> do, you, yep. do you want to encapsulate yeah. the, those little headlines there? Well, yeah, it was my, you know, my first trip down to LA to, you know, my, my, my quote unquote signing meeting with my very first manager. It just was not as glamorous as what, you, you would imagine basically I showed up I had no money so I was staying in a hostel off of Hollywood Boulevard and so of course you know you you have these people in Leicester Square but it's like the uh, the dress ups that uh, you know I was passing by and the Spider-Man you know and well, you I went to the Chinese sp- theater straight away That's to get, right, get went, in the mood didn't you of course of course I was like Hollywood I won't take me to Hollywood Boulevard I want to see the Walk of Fame and of course it's like yeah and I had a soft spot for dress up superheroes of Pushed course it, yeah. so Spider-Man comes up to me he's like let me take a photo of you and then he grabs my phone and I'm like oh okay so I take a photo in front of the Chinese theater and then he turns it around and he's, you know, taking a selfie with me. And then he's like, that'll be $20 for Spider-Man. And I was like, get the F out of here. What if and, and so I came out of that whole experience. That was like my the first like my defining interaction right when I first landed in L.A. And then, of course, I meet um, Chris, who's still my manager today. But he was, you know, like six, seven years ago. He was like just like in a in, in a polo and shorts and flip flops. And I was like, oh, like this is not what I like. I expected like three piece suit energy. And, you know, this guy was like 
Because you'd been watching too much Entourage. I had been watching That's too why. much Entourage. By the way, you yeah. paid Spider-Man $5. You gave him 5 I bucks. did, I did. I, I, yeah. You sensitive soul. Oh, yuck. Uh, right, so um, so then you had to get out of Canada and you had to get into to the States. And the only way you could do that was by applying for the status of um, alien with unfathomable talent. Or what, what was the phrase? <laughs> I can't remember. Thank you. I much prefer that one. <laughs> the, the, the technical term is, I believe, alien of extraordinary ability. That's it. That's the work visa and status. because of your job in Canada yes. um, and Kim's convenience, you, yes. you qualified. Yes, yes. No, a lot of people don't know this. It's, it's you know, Canada and, and the UK are similar in that we can't just, um, we can't just go, you know, take a flight into LA and start auditioning. You need, you need something from the government that is, that allows you to go in and, and work as a, as a temporary you know, temporary residence. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. you need to establish notability in your respective field. And how you do that is you engage an immigration attorney and then you, you know, I'm really laying down the advice for all the aspiring actors out there. You you need all the press that you've done, all the awards and, and the accolades. And you just need, basically you need to be your biggest advocate and you need to send that file into immigration services and they give you a visa and they say come on in yeah and uh, what's interesting about you know as, as that sort of journey progressed and you end up at this audition or you end up at you on the on the eve of the callback to play mm. shang chi um you 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 sort of accidentally organized this massive um sporting event this festival <laughs> in canada because you had become you had some useful fame you had a useful amount of fame i think uh-huh. there's i think there's a, quite an interesting currency in fame you know mm-hmm. what's useful at what what point mm-hmm. And it was really useful for you to sell 100,000 tickets for your event, uh, for you to play um, basketball with your some of your superstar. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I believe it was more like a thousand, a thousand tickets. I thought it was hundred thousand. Oh, thank you. We could go with a hundred thousand. Okay, I was going. I was going. Sorry, I apologize. It I was an intimate. It was, <laughs> it was but, a little bit more intimate. Right. Okay. But anyway, sold that in about a second. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but then you had to leave your own event, um, mm-hmm. sort of under cover of darkness, to go back to Hollywood to get the biggest job in the world. Yes. So yeah. Basically, what? <laughs> That's crazy. And when, when initially when we were trying to schedule these things out, so yeah, I, I basically I. I organized this basketball event called the Chinese Canadian Youth Athletics Association Celebrity Classic and we brought all these you know Asian American and Asian Canadian influencers from all over North America of course we set it on the date uh, that that Marvel eventually when they when invited me over for a screen test which is the final audition fell on the exact same day so yeah. I did the unfathomable thing of saying no to Marvel but it wasn't okay. It wasn't a no. It was like a pretty please. Can you please, please, please move it by just one day so that I can do this event? Which was a risky call, man. It was a man. I know, especially when when you don't have it yet. Like it's, yeah. it, you know, you, you feel like anything you say could change their mind. Oh. But thankfully, they were very cooperative, and so well, they were half cooperative. It still meant that I had to fly out at five a.m. the next morning. But it was it was just like you could not picture a man. More we beautiful... had to get up at four a.m. every morning, that, I, and we're yes. not auditioning for the next super. Marvel, That's true. Super Marvel superhero. Thing. That's exactly why I'm not in radio too but okay. yeah it was it, it you could not picture like you couldn't write a better sequence of events because at that night I ended up like sinking the game winning bucket um, I had all my friends around me I had a crowd of a thousand people cheering me on and then the next morning I went off and I earned the role of a lifetime come on I come love on. it I love it um, so then you, you you bag the role and then it's going to be announced at Comic Con just just could you give us a minute on that please if you don't mind yeah so I mean Kevin Feige calls me on Tuesday right he's like we want you to be Shang-Chi and then he's like in four days you're going to fly down to San Diego we're going to announce you in front of the crowd at Comic Con 
It's going to it's going to be nuts. And I was like, OK, great. What, 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 what should I do? Should I bring should I dress up? And he was like, no, no, no. Just come. It's, it's very casual. Just bring bring you. And so, of course, I show up in San Diego with like twenty dollars skinny jeans from Zara. You know, shout out to Zara. I've got this, you know, I, I, I look like me. Love I look Zara. like a person. But the first thing that happens when we pull into, so we pull into the Hard Rock Hotel where, you know, all the all the kind of top talents stay. We pull into the basement and then the moment my car door opens up, I walk out and the first thing I see is Natalie Portman passing right in front of me. Whoa. And she looks stunning. Stunning. They're, you know, you're talking like, you know, these these guys, they have glam teams and people following them around. It's like a whole production. And so I'm like, Kevin, you like he 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 didn't tell me any of this. He was just like, bring, you know, he, he, he wanted me to be like the guy that was just being thrown into things. Yeah. Right. But I was like, oh, Kevin, you you done me dirty, Kevin. <laughs> or and, words to that effect. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, so you're on stage, and you're then. There's a great picture in the book, isn't it? You're yeah, surrounded yeah, yeah. by like the most famous people in the world. The most famous people in the <laughs> who world who are now your pals, and they're embracing you as such because they're so pleased for you. I know a couple of the individuals involved, and they are very giving, very you know, yes, very, very. So they're grateful themselves every day, and Absolutely. they share, they sort of so they sort of uh, transmit that kind of vibe. And and I think they're keenly aware of this like phenomenon of fame and and this kind of the 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 confluence of like the comic book fandom and everything that's happening to them. I mean, it's really, it's, you don't really know until you're in it. And so what I found is that, you know, everyone in the Marvel universe has been just very, they've been like, I know what you're going through and I know it's the best thing in the world, but I also know that it's a lot. So, so don't hesitate to reach out if reach you ever out, need anything. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So cool. But you get that sense from the films. They're real gang shows. Yeah. You get the fact that, or, or you hope at least anyway, that what's happening on screen, which is so special, you know, regardless of all the brilliant special effects and all the geniuses involved in that Mm -hmm. you get this chemistry thing that must be happening off the screen because you can't really get that on unless it's also off well, I mean, I will say each and every one of those actors individually are, are incredibly talented humans. So I'm sure that I'm sure that even if we hated each other, they would uh, they would find a way to turn it on for the cameras. But... I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, anyway, I, I'm going to prefer to. I'm going to I'm going to keep my. No, version I think of you're right. I think you're right. Everybody. I mean, it, everyone gets on quite well, and it, it, Kevin's really just you know he he fosters such an incredible work environment. Um. You know, your book ends on a sort of cliffhanger in a way. Uh, I can, I sense another one um, is, is in the office. I can't wait to read it. By the way, it's a great story, man. I know we've only touched, we've only touched on the surface here, but it's such a beautiful story. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the next few years to you in your career and your life? Um, well, I'd love to make another one. Right. Uh, I think I think there's probably an, a little bit of demand in the world for that. <laughs> I think there might be. Um, but I think. Um, you know, I think being at this point in 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 my life and and in in, in having Shang Chi, you know, introduced to the world as you know the first lead Asian superhero in the Marvel universe, I think it occupies a very very unique space, and I think I want to kind of continue to use that platform to be a voice for for our community. It's one that historically maybe hasn't been given a lot of visibility, a lot of voice, and so I, I want to kind of continue to take up space and and also to hopefully to open up that space and and bring other people on board as well 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 done and uh, by the way the opening fight scene in the bus so <laughs> I, was, I wasn't ready for that because I, I didn't I hadn't seen the movie till yesterday I watched it my kids what they love you anyway oh, and, I, and I just about had time after reading the whole of your book it was like eight o'clock I've got to be up in three hours oh my god okay, I'm gonna watch the film I'm gonna watch the film but like the opening scene in the bus it's like was that is that was that all you 
It was most. It was mostly me. Because you were a stuntman as well, weren't you? you, I, you I, I was not to not to any degree that you know someone like a Jackie Chan would be or like a Jet Li. That's a Bruce Lee a, degree. Right, right. No, I was like a, I was like the substitute stuntman. I was like the guy that you called if your main guy was sick and your second guy was injured. Then they would be like, okay, throw Simu in. Let's see what he could do. Yeah. And and but you, you know, had a bit of previous, useful previous. I had a bit of physicality. Yes, right. yes. But 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 uh, all credit to our incredible stunt team. Um, I did as much as I could and as much as they would let me but you know at the end of the day there these are big productions and you know i was i was told time and time and time again when if you get injured everybody loses yeah. so that was um I still, I still managed to sneak a few in there, though. mate. Well, you cannot tell. I couldn't see the joint, and I, I know we're out of time. But just very briefly, how the heck do they make these films? They're so <laughs> clever, aren't they? Oh I mean, God. you're all great. All the acting is fantastic, and there yeah, has to yeah. be a real connection there. That has to be sort of almost Shakespearean in a way, and often super. The, mm-hmm. the reason superhero mm-hmm. movies are so good nowadays is because there's mm-hmm. so much going on that is beyond and of the soul and of the spirit mm-hmm. and what's important about life, and that's why they come to life. And there's humour; they don't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Yet they deal with very serious subjects, mm-hmm. and sometimes the best way of all to get that across is with levity and with a light touch and with humour and with a smile. Mm-hmm. But how the heck do they do all the other stuff? I think you just described. You literally just described it. No, uh, um, I would say, I would say, in Kevin we trust. You know, he's the one guy that's kind of done it time and time and time again. And um, you know, it's it's seeing his confidence and his passion every day. Um, you know, because when he shows up on set, he's just like a kid. He's not the hot. You know, the 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 tired, weary-eyed Hollywood producer that's like, ah, kid, did uh, you, you do too many of these and the business ruins you. He's there and he's like, oh my God, that's so cool. I can't believe you, oh man, I can't believe the sets look like that. And when, when you're like, when you're, you know, fearless leader has that infectious kind of childlike wonderment energy. It's impossible for you not to buy into the process as well. I wonder what that must be like. Uh, great to meet you, man. Thank you so much You're for having me. You're welcome anytime. Great book. This is a great book uh, for you, for the kids uh, to read. It's a great story. It's got some great lessons in it. It's very candid. It's very vulnerable. It's so cool. Thank you. Simu Liu, We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story. It's okay. on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, wouldn't it be? I'd be surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> it would be a crime against literature, my friend. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Why not listen back to some of our other podcasts from Matthew McConaughey, Minnie Driver and Ron Howard. Bye.